Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming at you from the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, great guest today. We got connected from her publicist, who is a friend of the show, Scott. Scott, shout out. Thanks for helping uh, connect us. Scott's a really cool dude and has helped me get some really great guests on here, so I'm glad Laura is uh, added into the list. So Laura is a really interesting person. She talks about coming stateside and end up in Missouri and L.A. and uh, all this different stuff, and she's just such an entrepreneur, uh, a busy woman for sure. She is the co-founder of My Lab Box. It's the first at-home screening for STDs. Uh, so no more having to go to a Planned Parenthood or your PCP or however you get an STT test. Uh, you can get them from their website, mylabbox.com. You can get them on Amazon. She kind of gets in some more details about the inner workings of it, so please check out. Make sure you go to their website. Uh, so you may be listening to this and be like, well, I don't need an STD test at the moment. And that's great. But maybe you know someone who does. Maybe you're like me and you work for a behavioral health company that works with people in the community. Uh, oftentimes in different places I've worked, people have a lack of transportation. They have their shame, there's guilt, there's embarrassment, there's re- people, families' religious views. Uh, and just going out and getting an STD test is just so many barriers in the way. And I can now connect so many people to this resource, which I plan on. And so can you. Uh, keep it in your head. You know, you never know when you need an STD an std screening why leave the house why not just order online and get your test done and your results uh it's a wonderful wonderful thing it's going to really revolutionize things uh any way to prevent sexually transmitted disease is great and it's so nice to see a company like this uh really just kind of identify what the barriers are for people and break them down and make it affordable and easy so on top of all of this, uh, Laura, she's such an entrepreneur, such a fascinating person. She's also the founder of Scare LA. And as it's kind of explained to me, it's like a Comic-Con, like a fan convention for Halloween in August in Los Angeles. She chats about uh, some experience having members of NSYNC come by. Uh, I'm looking at their site right now. It's uh, 2016.scarela.com. And it's... Uh, it's Man, it just looks really fun. Um, I mean, right now it's October, so that's always a good time. Uh, but, you know, in August, you might be missing it, so go check it out. So make sure you check out their website, Twitter, Facebook, all the good stuff. Uh, shout out to Laura for coming on the show. She's just a really interesting, fascinating entrepreneur and just a fun person to talk with. Uh, as always, you can find us on Twitter, at Last Chat Podcast. Like us on Facebook. Uh, if you listen to the show, thank you so much. It really means a lot. Uh, Maybe you're checking us out on the Laughable app, huh? You can check out last episodes with Ned Kenny. And uh, do me a huge favor and leave an iTunes review. That stuff is so helpful. Uh, And if you do, tweet me that you do, and I will shout you out in our next intro. Anyway, let's get to it. Let's Chat with Revel and Friends is part of Courts and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, and movie podcasts. Check out our other shows, That Popped This Live, Talking Shondaland, We Got Five, and TV Ate My Brain at courtsandparts.com. The hard, the hard, you never thought that this cop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight, cause I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Raw G, Brucey B, Kid Debris. Funk, Master Flex, Love, Funk, Star, Ski. So where are you, uh, let's start at the very beginning. Where are you from? 
I'm originally from Europe. I was born in Bulgaria and uh, raised there. So I've been in the States, however, for now almost half of my conscious life. So it's, oh, wow. uh, I'm a citizen of two countries and uh, the world, I would say. This is the way I, I like to think of it. Oh, yeah. Well, that is a much more interesting answer than most people give. <laughs> How old were you guys when you moved stateside? I was 20. Oh, wow. So you actually had the like, conscious memory of being over yeah, I made the decision. Actually, I moved by myself. So I came here for college. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up, uh, I was very adventurous even as a teenager. So I left home when I was around 18 and uh, started traveling around the world and um, discovering myself. And the opportunity came up to come to the US. I got a full scholarship for Washington University in St. Louis. And um, after a lot of thinking, it just seemed like, you know, it was one of those decisions where if you don't do it, you will always wonder for the rest of your life, what if? Yeah, oh, of um, course. And I didn't want to live with any what ifs, so I, I just jumped on a plane and showed up. <laughs> so, and this is such an American question because I'm, I'm born in the States, but so like you grew up in Bulgaria, and I would imagine your knowledge of the U.S. might be one thing, but then you show up to Missouri. What, were you taken I, back? I was. Because it's um, not like. Very- not what you see in the movies? You know, and it's not even about movies. It's just like such a different, once you're on the ground, it's a different world. Um, yeah. And it's you become a stranger in both worlds because the people that are at home uh, really cannot comprehend or even fathom what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis and the cultural differences and the lifestyle differences. They have one perception of what your life is here. Um, and then the people in the U.S. obviously don't have a concept of where you're coming from um, mm-hmm. and what your world uh, was before you left. So it's um, it's taken me quite a while to kind of find uh, a balance between who I've been, who I want to be, and uh, really kind of build the social uh, support network that I grew up with uh, here on, on this side of the, the ocean. That's, now, are you in LA now? Is that right? Los Angeles, yes, Hollywood. Okay, okay. Um, awesome. Yeah, I was reading through the stuff and I was like, ah. Oh. Man, that's quite the the jump, though, Bulgaria to Missouri. I've never even been to Missouri, and I'm born and raised in the U.S., so that's pretty impressive. I actually thought it was in Washington, D.C., which is really funny, because you'd figure Washington University of St. Louis would be in Washington. That's so I, I took a, a flight, and I bought it. I bought a ticket to Washington, D.C. I landed. Um, I thought St. Louis must be a suburb of D.C. I tried to take mm-hmm. a bus to St. Louis. Uh, I got laughed at by the lady at the counter there. <laughs> uh, and once she told me that it's actually a two-hour flight, then I finally you know, put two and two together. But my first thought was, you know, oh, my God, Americans fly to the next neighborhood? This no. is really bizarre. Uh, and a two-hour flight, you know, I was like, all right, that's like London to Sofia. That makes sense. I should probably fly. That would be a long bus ride. So yeah. I ended up, um, yeah, in Missouri about 48 hours after I left, <laughs> after a lot of uh, oh, I'd be so of, confused. Uh, adventures. <laughs> Dude, that's ins- but it was, a- uh, it was a great experience, nevertheless. Very warm, very hot. Um, but Missouri weather changes. So they say if you don't like it, just wait for five minutes, it will change. And uh, at first I almost left because it was too hot in the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a, a couple of days, it, um, it got back to a place where I felt more comfortable. What is St. Louis like? And I've never been, but I've heard some. I've heard very good things from my friends and family who like live there or travel through there. You know, it's interesting because I actually feel it's very much like Los Angeles. Um, mm. It's uh, a city that was built for scale. Um, they made a few kind of 
from what I, my understanding is of their history, uh, strategic decisions that basically cost, you know, they didn't build an extra bridge, they didn't expand their airport. Um, so basically from kind of the gateway to the west, um, they really surrendered that position to Chicago. So the amazing mm. thing about St. Louis is that it has the infrastructure of a multi-million person city. Uh, they have actually, I think, the biggest uh, city park. It's larger than Central Park in New York. They have oh, wow. the largest Japanese garden outside of Japan. Um, so they have a lot of really fascinating and amazing spots, um, but they don't have that kind of um, huge volume of traffic. So going there, everything is really, for the most part, you know, pristine uh, and clean. The downtown area suffered what the LA downtown area suffered, um, which was, you know, with the suburbanization of, uh, of the, the area, People moved into the suburbs, they moved yeah. to the houses, um, and the downtown areas became vacant and abandoned and um, turned into artist lofts over time. And, and this was part of the re- revitalization of um, L.A. itself. Um, you know, downtown had a very similar fate. So uh, very much a city where you you drive everywhere. There's not a lot of public transportation. Um, and it's still actually fairly racially uh, diverse, which is an interesting thing. I mean, if mm. you look at most cities in the Midwest, you're not going to necessarily see a huge diversity, but they do have that there. They have a large international population. So um, it was definitely a good introduction to the U.S. and, and especially to Los Angeles, I think, which I think is uh, St. Louis on steroids and <laughs> And you add the entertainment industry as well. So how did you end up from Missouri to uh, L.A.? I actually followed um, my boyfriend at the time. So I was very much in love. And, uh, you know, I followed him cross country when uh, he got here into grad school. Things didn't work out. But, um, you know, I'm still glad that I ended up in Los Angeles. I um, have learned to really love the city and uh, feel that this is uh, a really eclectic environment that gets me thinking about, everything outside the box gets me inspired and gets me motivated every day to do something unusual. Um, and I've really made it my home. You're like the first person I've ever had on here who lives in LA and isn't like, it doesn't hate it and isn't involved in like the, the entertainment business. I mean, I do have my entertainment passions, and I actually my, I studied theater and, and film directing, and oh, I wow. do yeah. uh, do entertainment related work on the side. Um, and I think actually my creative side is very much something that's made me successful in everything else that I've done as an entrepreneur. So, um, it, and that's the thing that I feel really makes LA a fit for me because everybody in LA has um, an alternate. Persona. It's kind of like the Clark Kent for Superman. I mean, mm-hmm. you have the banker who has a band and he's in a punk rock band at night and goes and plays in the local bar. You have the guy that uh, works on movies, but he's also a venture capitalist. And then mm-hmm. you have the clerk or the barista in Starbucks who, you know, also is an extra in movies. It's, it's a very one of the few places in the world uh, where I felt that um, a person can be all of these things and it was okay. You didn't have to identify yourself as just an artist or just a sales guy or, um, you know, and and I love that because I've always had that challenge. I've never been the person that has one thing that she cares about or is passionate about or one skill set that I am developing. So um, I think that's what won me over. And I mean, honestly, if you want to be a successful artist, don't you really have to be part art entrepreneur as well? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, making money off of art is difficult. And anyone I've, I have a lot of friends or musicians or actors, or whatever, but the ones who've like done it 
and I guess success is such a weird word. I mean, you think of like success, people think of like the Brad Pitts and like those people, but like anyone who's just working on as, in their art and like if that's that's like to me that's success. But those have been the people I've known so, who are like so good at like saving their money and like squirreling away for like when they they get a job that pays a lot. They're like, well, all right, but then the next one might not be for another year. So like they have those that that skill set of like selling yourself and. And, and, you know, it's like running a small business, essentially, except it's you. you. are. as a, I mean, if you're any kind of creative person, even if you're not straight up artist or musician, you are your own business uh, because you need to sell your ideas. And, and ultimately, as you said, you need to learn how to manage the budget of being an artist because obviously art doesn't always pay for itself. Um, so mm. oftentimes you have to kind of juggle different responsibilities, you know, what, what pays the bills and what keeps you fulfilled. And, and, um, and I think you're right. I mean, success really is the ability to do what you love. Um, and as long as you're able of doing that at any time in the day or, or your week, I think that's really what it's about. We can all look up to the Brad Pitts and et cetera of the world, but the reality of it is it's, um, who's to say that that's what happiness or success really should look like. I mean, in my <laughs> mind, um, Things are a lot simpler than, than we make them to be. Yeah, as I realized, I said Brad Pitt, and you said happiness. I was like, isn't something happen? I think there's some story with him right now, but I'm never too. I think they're too... going through a divorce. I yeah, think yeah. Uh, yeah. We're like the two like people like I'm like yeah, we're like the only Amer- people in this country. Like yeah, I don't really, I know about yeah, it, no. but I don't really care that much. It's like yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's somebody else's life, you know. But yeah. you know, from what I hear, <laughs> I've heard it's not. That, those are the stories that make you a little happier. Like, all right, Mr. Has It All has a little bit less. All right. But... <laughs> Bring him down to the level of the common man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, doing um, doing the entrepreneur thing. Uh, so, like, when you're doing, like, uh, My Lab Box, you're also having, like, side entertainment work, you said? Like, just as, like, a barista who works as an actor or vice versa. So is, is that my lab box your like full-time gig and you do side work or vice versa? Um, I juggle. I mean, it's actually, um, I, in essence have been working two full-time jobs for the last four years. Um, about about a year before I, uh, founded or co-founded my lab box, I, um, I launched, um, an event that's called scare LA and it's the first, um, convention dedicated to the spirit of Halloween. It's a fan convention, very much like a comic con, but it really is dedicated to everything that Halloween is about anything Mm -hmm. from trick or treating to uh, haunted houses, costumes learning how to you know create special effects makeup and um, the show has been growing pretty rapidly and it takes place in the summer so we look at it as like the kickoff to the halloween season here in socal uh, including presentations from the major theme parks we also have a lot of home haunters and creatives that just show up to talk about what they are preparing to unleash on, on the la area in the october time frame so i very much um you know, I didn't, to be honest, at any point in my life think that that's what I would be doing as, um, as a grown-up. But I, one of the things I'm, I'm learning to do more and more of is really following my passion and my curiosity and not judging myself uh, through the eyes of others, you know. And um, mm. to me, a Halloween convention in the summer makes a lot of sense. And I spent about a year of my life um, kind of really dedicating a lot of energy to putting energy – putting kind of uh, resources and time behind some of my wildest ideas. Um, anything that I, I promised myself back in 2013, that anything 
that came to mind that sounded like, oh my God, this is a great idea. Somebody should totally do that. <laughs> that I would actually uh, be the one to do something about it. Um, and that's what basically, that was the year that I started both Scarlet uh, was the first convention. And then in the, the fall of that year, my lab box was born. And um, here we are four years later, still going. It's how does, I want to hear a little bit about the Scare LA. So you just have the idea. Are you, are you the type of person I'm going to guess that for like a group of friends after a party you're talking and someone's like, you know, it'd be a good idea. We should start a Halloween convention. You're like, yes, let's do it. And then you kind of get to it. <laughs> you, you strike me as one of those people who are the, the doers. I am. Yeah. And I'm actually usually the person that's like, you know what? We should do a Halloween convention in the summer. <laughs> and then, and then so you I do usually, it. And then I do it. I mean, I, I end up finding connections between things that people oftentimes don't think that are connected. I, I And I think that's part of the creative part of my brain is at, the same thing as at-home STD testing. You know, who would have thought that this could be something? Uh, but to me, it, it makes, makes sense. It makes so it's, much sense. Like, <laughs> like I... I, I, I when like um when uh, Scott uh, the, the wonderful PR person sent me the the the, the description of it, I was like, huh, why why right? did this not exist when I was uh, younger? That is very much what uh, just like, drove me. To this. <laughs> oh my god, because even I don't we'll, we'll definitely get into it more too, but I just uh, there's so many things about it that, that there's so many barriers to that stuff, and I was like, huh, just at your house like that, easy, hmm. I have a running list of kind of ideas like that that I've. Um, you gotta keep those to yourself. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I just keep a list because you just never know. And sometimes, you know, idea comes like, for example, my lab box took uh, a few months before it solidified to what it was. You know, mm -hmm. it was it started off as a conversation over coffee about dating in Los Angeles, right, with uh, my co-founder at the time. Um, the idea kind of came up, and it took a little bit of time for us to both kind of take a step aside. We all did our individual research. We all kind of walked away intrigued by, huh, there's got to be something like this out there. There's no way in 2013, you know, this is in the most developed country in the world. Um, we still need to, you know, deal with outdated <laughs> access to, to resources such as healthcare. And it, um, the more I learned, the more I realized how much of a serious issue it is and how oh. kind of urgent the need to do something about it. And the more intrigued I became about why, why doesn't it exist? Um, so it really, things that become something I find for me, they start with kind of that running list. And then it's the ideas that stick with me and that they keep, keep me going, mm. um, and keep me curious that those are the ones that usually turn into something like a my lab box. Maybe um, in case someone didn't listen to our uh, intro that I'll put in the front, uh, do you want to explain what my lab box is to someone who's listening? Absolutely. Uh, my lab box is a disruptive service in the healthcare industry. We are the first and only uh, company that is able to offer at home STD testing in all 50 states of the U.S. We've also recently rolled out a very um, intriguing program, which allows you to basically get from testing to treatment without setting a foot outside of your home. Um, if you do test positive with any of our test um test here at mylabbox.com, you have access to free consultations with physicians in your area that you can do over the phone and get a prescription right then and there mailed to your uh, local pharmacy. So really we are, uh, we found a way to deliver health directly to you as a consumer. And I always make this parallel with like brushing your teeth because I think sometimes it's hard for people to understand uh, why this is so uh, cutting edge. I mean, imagine, you know, 
your sexual health and your health in general, it's, it's hygiene. It's some, it's like taking a shower. It's, it's brushing your teeth. Um, imagine how many times you would brush your teeth if you had to go to the dentist every time you had to do this. Um, and services like STD testing should be just as simple and intuitive, like putting on a condom or like brushing your teeth. You don't need to jump through hoops and, and, and be faced with a lot of challenges and stigma and, um, and even, complications of taking time off of your work day um, to to get access to a resource and to a service that you can ultimately do from home. Well, so I've worked in um, the behavioral health field for uh, quite a while. Uh, so not exactly the sexual reproductive parts of it, but I've worked with a lot of people from various classes. I've worked in a lot of different places, companies and agencies and whatnot. So I've worked with everyone of every different class. I think you would be some people would be surprised of if you're someone who is ill or disabled and you don't have any money and you don't have transportation, the last thing on your mind is an STT test because uh, you wait till you, you – I mean like I get my physical at the doctors and they're not testing me for that stuff. I don't I don't know why. It should be everywhere. But um, – and especially with the restrictive abortion access in especially different states, you know that a lot of Planned Parenthoods and great places kind of get shut down. So like it's just – hard for someone to do it if they want to and then there's people like me who were like healthy and just didn't get them i mean obviously yeah. just because i mean obviously I've, I've had them but it wasn't like going to the i wasn't doing like going to the dentist like you said and i had the health insurance i had the means i had no embarrassment i don't come from like a strictly religious family or anything it just never really pops into your head until uh oh um but right. it just it makes so much sense um God, you, I, I can't even explain how many people I have worked with who just need something like – I wish all healthcare <laughs> could be like – more healthcare could be like this. Like, you know, back in the day, like at least in the States, doctors used to come to your house and then they somewhere did. that changed where we go to them. But when you have the barrier – oh, you are in Missouri. The barrier of transportation is just everything. So like anything in this country, when you're poor, everything's harder. So if you don't have a car and you have to rely on public transportation, it's going to take three times as long and – are you going to get that AIDS test, even though you know you don't have it? But just maybe, you, you know, you just, you never know. You yeah. never know. And even, I mean, even let's look at people who are in the urban centers. They're doing, you know, they're young professionals or they're career driven. They could be maybe they've gone through a divorce. They have a mm. busy job. They have kids. Yeah. Um, the luxury of having a, a half work day, which what it usually takes for you to realistically get tested because you have to get off time off work, get to the location. Usually there's a 30 minutes to an hour wait. Even if you have an appointment, then the test, and then they tell you something like, uh, we'll call you within two weeks if there's a problem, which is, you know, one of the most dreaded sentences I think anybody could hear is in a situation because (laughs) every phone call you miss becomes, Oh my God, was that my STD test? Do I have an HIV? Am I dying? Uh, the, the, So I think in any case or form, even if you just look at what e-commerce did to shopping in general and how many more people are, are you know, getting access now to products and goods just because they can do it at home or even, uh, you know, public transportation. Let's look at Ubers, uh, the, the Ubers and the lifts of the world, you know, the on-demand everything, on-demand food, on-demand uh, car services. If you have to go down the street and wave a cab, even though it doesn't seem like a lot of effort, you're still much less likely to do it yep. than if you can just press a button from your phone and, and get that cab come to you. Absolutely. It, no, you're right. There's that supply and demand thing. It, it just it just makes so much sense. Like, I, I don't understand how this hasn't existed yet. It just <laughs> – have you found any blowback from, like, um, 
conservative, like abstinent only programs and people who are against this kind of stuff? You know, not so much of a blowback, but there's definitely a sense of uh, kind of a stigma in, in sometimes from surprising places. I mean, a couple examples I can give, you know, huge companies like Twitter, for example, or even uh, YouTube. Uh, we were not able to access their advertising platforms because they uh, consider the subject matter that we are advertising as inappropriate mm-hmm. um, and vi- violating whatever kind of rights in, in terms of service they have. Um, even though it is a public health issue, it is something that is you know, very much uh, a thing a contemporary American should be uh, aware of. Um, the fact that p- platforms like this are uh, banning the spread of information around sexual health is is particularly scary because this is our, our, the new generations are growing up on those platforms. And if they're not allowed to be educated, um, the problem that we're looking at right now, which is one third of our population in America suffering from an STI and many not knowing it, um, it's only going to get worse, um, which is why we felt like technology was the way to go about uh, changing the way this is. But I mean, even anything from investor meetings to uh, mixers to kind of just even casual conversations about the business, you know, sometimes it raises an eyebrow and it's um, kind of a funny thing when, you know, you can see the person looking at you and trying to figure out, and me and my co-founder, you know, which one of the two of you is the promiscuous one, you know, or which one of the two of you had the STD or which STD did you have, you know, things yep. that... Sexism uh, just starts immediately when you bring it up. Like, but you Especially think being a woman else. in that space, yeah. you know. And you're just like, but it's a good idea. <laughs> and it's it like, has nothing to do, I mean, it, nothing to do with either of us being, you know, particularly promiscuous or like no, having I, STD. I, of course, I, I didn't think that at all, but I bet there's probably people like that. But like the same way, if someone gives me the idea for like a Uber, I didn't. No one would be like, "Oh, so you couldn't get a ride somewhere? So why did you think of Uber?" Like, you no. drink a lot, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to touch back on something. Can I just? I'm. I'm. Maybe you, you might not want to say this, but I'm sure myself and the listeners out there would say. I've been on YouTube comment threads and I've seen stuff on Twitter and they cannot advertise sexual STD testing. Like, are you fucking kidding me? There's actual terrorist groups and people who threatening to rape women on Twitter every second of the day. Just I mean, I've watched some really graphic content on all of these platforms. So and the YouTube, fact that you yeah. are a, a legitimate business that, you know, is paying for the advertising, you know, has all the necessary approvals and regulatory, oh, you know, um, Call of Duty. criteria. It still does, it, for some reason. Um, well, I think we know I, why. I'm not it's sure. Just, well, I, <laughs> There's a big sex stigma in the states um, from people, and it's better than it used to be. But you know, it's it's still there, and a lot of these big companies just you play you play it safe. Because, and I don't blame there Twitter, is. I don't blame Facebook. It's I mean, whatever. It's I don't work there, so it's not my decision. But you know, ultimately, people they don't want to put that advertisement out, and then a kid sees it, and they go to the, the wrong person to complain, even though they're going to see worse stuff online. Like I get it, but it, it it's annoying, and that that kind of hypocrisy kind of bothers me but that which is actually kind of what i love about what you guys are doing is now you're taking that stigma away from it like my a, a kid i don't want to say kid but a young adult who's sexually active regardless of their parents wishes can now get tested because information is power and it's you want to get you just want to know it's just so important it's just like it just helps safe sex it helps safe sex and it's so important and it's a it's a it, public health issue and it's going to save yeah. People in the long run, like fiscally speak, economically speaking, you're going to save money for the government in the long run, keeping people's medical costs down. 
Absolutely. About 20 billion dollars, I believe, was the number of recent figures that um, are kind of attributable to related expenses for our country uh, every year uh, in dealing with uh, these these types of issues. And, you know, the availability of an early diagnostic test that can be easily accessible and and hopefully change habits for a big part of the population, I think, could really um, make huge strides to uh, a better financial future for all of us. Um, We have currently uh, adults as well, let's call them adults because they are, but individuals as young as 16 years of, of age can use the service and, mm-hmm. and have, as you said, the the, the ability to make their own decisions. Um, ultimately, even when we look at something like the pregnancy tests, when those first came out, yeah. the pushback was, oh, women are going to be jumping off of bridges if they found out they were pregnant and there was nobody <laughs> holding their hand. Um, we don't see that many women jumping off bridges. No. I mean, at least I haven't seen any. I don't think that's life. ever happened. And I'm pretty sure a bunch <laughs> of, I, I can imagine the type of men and women that would say something like that. So I think, you know, it's just one other way for us to be more informed about our bodies and, and healthier. I also think it's not just sexual health because the, even the fear of having something like this, um, it affects our mental health. Oh, yeah. It affects um, our well-being in, in general. So we need to stop thinking of it even as a sexual health problem because it's, it's health. Uh, we are, you know, we don't have dental health. I mean, obviously we can really get granular with things, but health in general, um, I think, uh, should comprise of all of these things. It's interesting about this country, about, um, especially STDs and like the AIDS epidemic of the eighties. So I was born in 1984, which for anyone who knows, so I was born in 84. I had a heart condition. I had heart surgery in 1984. Uh, 1984 is the story of the Ryan White story, who was a young boy who got a blood transfusion before they screened for AIDS and he got AIDS and he sadly passed away. But like, so that's how kind of how far we've had to come in this country from like 84 to 2013. Uh, you know, they just weren't even, they weren't even scanning blood. They were putting it in people's body because they weren't talking about AIDS because it was known as the gay disease. And now yeah. by 2013, for some reason, no one figured out like, hey, why don't we just uh, get these tests at home? And then you guys just figured it out. Yeah. And most of these diseases, I mean, they don't pick. They don't pick uh, you based on your skin color or your gender or your sexual orientation or even the number of times you have sex. I mean, you know, I've had – there's anecdotal stories after anecdotal stories of people who were – you know, that was their first time and Mm -hmm. they ended up with an STD. So um, people who are married end up with STDs because sometimes things don't – develop for a certain period of time uh, in your system and you may they may surface later on and haunt come to haunt you so it's um and like people who you uh share needles so it's not always just sexual it is sometimes intravenous drug usage which like um, i'm it's also uh, you know heavy petting uh it could also be oral sex it could also be a a blowjob i mean you know how many people think that, oh, you know, it's it's safe. But one thing that we actually are offering on our site that's also extremely unique is the fact that we screen for oral and rectal infections. Excellent. So if you're engaged in any, any any of these activities, and most people, you know, dabble in those one way or another, um, it's important to understand that an infection can live in your mouth, for example, before it spreads to the rest of your body for quite some time. So you could actually be positive for an STI uh, that will not, uh, as many as 20% will not show in a, standard STI test that you will done, uh, you will get done in a clinic unless they actually get a sample from your oral uh, cavity. So it's, um, I think 
you're right. You know, people, there's so many ways. Uh, some of the infections can be transferred through skin. So you can be wearing a condom. You can be following all the rules of the game and still end up with, for example, genital herpes. Mm-hmm. Um, let's even in the best scenario. So obviously we don't want people to be approaching each other with fear uh, because ultimately if they are educated and if they are screening as regularly as they should, um, there's actually much less reason to be afraid of, um, of being intimate than, than you should. Uh, so can I ask you about what, how, what, are, how do you handle yourself in these scenarios when you're like doing like a networking event or you're trying to pitch the idea and then just the creepy person in the room starts looking at you guys and trying to figure it out? Like, how, how, did you have to build the tough skin for that? Um, a little bit, you know, and I think, um, my creative side comes to an aid here as well, just because I feel as, as a creative person, you're oftentimes kind of the odd duck <laughs> in the group. So uh, it, it gets you used to being a little bit strange and a little bit unconventional. So it builds up that kind of um, ability to really rise above what people may think of who you are or what you do. And I think as long as uh, you are doing something with a purpose and, and you're, you can look at yourself in the mirror and every day and say, Hey, I'm, you know, making this world a slightly better place just by being here. Um, all of these things kind of stop making uh, a difference. Uh, I think if anything, the more critics that sometimes you have, the more, you know, you're on the right path and you're yeah. actually cha- changing something. <laughs> if yeah. nobody's criticizing you, you're probably not doing anything that's different enough, radical enough to, um, to make a difference. So yeah, you're right. It's, and I sense the humor as well. I mean, I think I've learned to really kind of laugh at those situations mm-hmm. and um, they become stories we tell in interviews <laughs> and, uh, or just in the office um, of, of different situations that we've been in. Um, oh, geez, I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, it probably wasn't that good. <laughs> uh, wow. That, I don't know. I had a good thought and I was waiting for it, but that, that's a, that's a goner. We were talking about says, humor, thick skin. Oh, there it is. All right. So, um, for anyone listening or in me, cause now I'm kind of curious. Uh, so what's the process? Like, how does someone go about to do this? And like, what's the at home testing? Like, cause actually let me share a story. When I was young, like around like eighth or ninth grade or not, even, I don't know what year I am pre sexually activity age. Um, the rumor was when you went to get – this is like a rumor we would tell each other in like 6th, 7th grade or whatever that when you're a guy that you when you went to get an STD test, they put like a Q-tip down your your, your knee <laughs> And that always made like – I remember being terrified of getting that stuff because thinking like – to turn out it was blood work and a fucking cotton swab in my mouth. But you know, I think I was like a late teenager, early 20s waiting for like that pain of getting a fucking Q-tip shoved down my dick. And I find out I was like, oh. I was wrong because there's just so much misinformation. So what's the – I'm hoping your test doesn't involve you stuck in a Q-tip down your penis. No, not at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think that's even a real thing. Maybe that could be a funny part of a, a kind of a commercial that we could do yeah. this. The horror, don't do it the old-fashioned way. Tested. Yeah, don't do it this way. Uh, <laughs> the It's really, really, really easy. And uh, we basically – you go to mylabbox.com. You order one of the kits. um or you can also buy them at Amazon and get them uh, take advantage of their prime delivery. Once the box arrives, 
there it's just extremely simple there's a greeting card there's a sheet of instructions and there's a laboratory form that has your name on it and your date of birth that you just want to make sure you send back with your sample and the sample itself um, and including reading the instructions take, takes literally less than five minutes we have timed this over and over again with people who are not us who encounter this for the first time for men it's as simple as peeing in a cup um, and you basically pee in a cup and you transfer a little bit of that urine to a small tube that you can send back in the mail to our laboratory. For women, it is a, a vaginal swab. Uh, it's literally a Q-tip. Think about you know using a tampon, for example. You just do a very quick swab. You don't have to go any do anything crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it takes a few seconds. You put it in a little container, ship it back to us. You get your results within about 24 hours up to five days, depending on where you live. That's not um, bad those... at all. That's faster than the going to the place. Absolutely. And you don't have to go to the place. <laughs> so yeah. the results get delivered to your secure account. You have the option to, uh, at that point, if you have a positive result, either get a consultation for free. Again, um, we don't charge you any copays. We cover the cost of any physician consultations through our network uh, following your positive result. Um, or if you are, you have a physician that you like to consult with or uh, a private practitioner, you can get a copy and just print those results straight from your account. They are lab certified 100% um, and you can bring them to your doctor and that doctor can advise you regarding next steps. They don't need to retest you. They can just prescribe you the treatment based on those results. So I'm thinking if I went to my PCP and got it, asked for an STD test, I would have to pay a copay to see my PCP and then I'm going to have to pay fees to see the lab. So this would actually be cheaper and if I did have an STD, you've already you've saved me the money. You just saved me uh, blood work, money, and money for the copay. And if I didn't Absolutely. have an STD, you just saved me a trip to the doctor, and I got the information I need. Damn. Absolutely. <laughs> and you can share that information. It's available to you. You can have it on your phone. You can have it on your computer. Um, again, it's a secure portal that only you can log in. And if but if you need to show those results to somebody, you're absolutely able to do that. No insurance required. No insurance required. And the reason why we chose that route, obviously, I mean, you can actually hypothetically uh, get the cost of a laboratory uh, test itself covered by your insurance. You just need to go through your channels and submit paperwork. Mm-hmm. FSA cards are accepted by the service. But th- what we've done with my lab boxes, we've made it actually and priced it in such a way that it's about half the cost of conventional testing um, and made it as affordable as possible because we don't want you to have to use insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, reason being is um, every time you use insurance for any kind of health checkup, that data becomes uh part of a network of insurance companies sharing those records. Um, it could affect other insurance policies that you hold. Um, you know, to what degree, it's always unclear. But it, let's say you are testing quite frequently for, for STDs, that's possible through and using your insurance that could possibly affect even, even your home insurance or your car insurance, oh, wow. depending on how those policies are structured. Um, that's not fair. Well, it's, you know, it's all about how they decide to calculate whether or yeah. not you're a risk, correct? Yeah, that's so, fair. Depending on what you're insuring yourself, life policies, there's all so many things that you can now get insurance for. Um, those results, uh, and again, I don't want to talk too much detail about that just because there's yeah. obviously each company handles those differently. But it is the fact of the matter is it is part of a database that other insurance companies can access. Damn. Yeah, that's, 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 that sounds so great. And so, like, you guys have, like, your own office and, like, this is, like, 
how do you how do you even get the word out on something like this? Is that is that the next step? Trying to find out how to get this more places because I feel like a lot of community mental health places that I work at and work would kind of love this. Like hopefully um, you guys are like is I'm gonna take down the site and bring this to my. Job. Actually, I was even thinking I'm like I need to bring this to my meeting tomorrow because this is such a great resource for so many of the clients I work with. The God, and I have to leave the house to do that. Like that's, that's <laughs> you have no idea how helpful that is because a lot of the times I work with clients is transportation is the biggest barrier for everything. And even for physicians, we always say, you know, if you um, you can have your your patient ultimately get tested at whatever frequency that you think that they should. Um, and, and even let's say you are a physician, you have a patient that needs to go through those testing periodically. Um, you can have that as an additional resource to your own practice. So you don't have to, you know, deal with extended appointment times, oftentimes, especially if you're, um, in, depending on your location or, or your network, some physicians, I mean, they have wait times of, you know, several months. Yeah. So to really alleviate those queue lines, um, things like this could be just easily uh, done at home um, and they can just really see you when they actually do need to treat you and, and take care of you. Um, and you are right. I think this could, this has a lot of applications. Um, we've, we've really been, it's kind of been a bit wonderful and a bit of a amazing to see how the word about what we're doing is spreading. Um, a lot of it, some of it is sometimes people find us online just by doing a simple Google search, but um, you know, talking to people like yourself, uh, getting the word out there with uh, different influencer communities, it really is. Um, I think the, the most effective way to go just because it's all about um, us as a community having that conversation and, and growing awareness. It's not just about selling products. It's not just about getting people to the site who are worried they have something. It's about telling the 80% of the other folks that think that they don't have anything um, that, hey, listen, 80% of infections are completely asymptomatic or they can manifest as a flu or as a cold. You inspecting yourself or your partner visually or thinking, I feel good, therefore I'm okay, um, maybe worked in the you know, middle ages, but it's now 2016. You have a very easy resource and you have the information and there's no reason why um, you shouldn't be taking better care of yourself. No, absolutely. So uh, if you don't mind, I want to kind of dip back because I do want to hear about Scare LA too as well. I, I, I Speaking that of was scary things, true. yeah, eighty <laughs> percent shit. Really, you know, we're all we're all on our computers going to the website right now. <laughs> yeah, buying discount codes. Discount. <laughs> the HIV kits are on sale. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, which came first, Scare LA or or the the box? A scare related. Scare related. Okay, so what was that trans? Oh, my lab box. Sorry, I forgot the name. I didn't want to say it wrong. So uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. I was like, uh, um, so you were, is that, so is it like, you said it's kind of like a Comic-Con? Yeah. Yeah. We have a, a huge show floor. We have over 200 vendors this past year. We had about uh, 12,000 people in attendance over 150 square feet of space. Um, and Damn. it contains anything from, uh, different panels and presentations of the likes of Universal Studios Horror Nights, Non-Scary Farm, down to VR experts, experts on fear, Ooh. extreme haunters, um, horror experiences, movies. Uh, we have screen a whole two days worth of programming, just screenings alone. We had a reptile exhibit, cat Ooh. adoptions. <gasps> Um, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, hosted Scare Late 2016, so she was there meeting with fans. Uh, we had even members of NSYNC <laughs> that were there. Which ones? Uh, Not um, JT. Joey Fatone. Yeah. He <laughs> was my Christopher favorite. Patrick, so. uh, they were the two best. Yeah, very nice. 
Yeah. They actually sang at our Scarely Saturday night party. So they did a couple of songs with uh, one of our bands. So that it was must have been pretty nuts fun. to see. And the whole face-off crew was there talking about uh, kind of their art uh, behind makeup. We had monsters. The movie? The we movie have a few haunted houses. No, the uh, the show. Oh, okay. I never saw it. Sorry. The sci-fi show. It's uh, kind of makeup. Um, it's really cool, actually. It's um, different makeup, special effects makeup artists compete for kind of a, a prize, and then they get to kind of go through different challenges, like creating the ultimate monster, like oh, sea monster, awesome. yeah. or a monster, or monster inspired by a certain movie, or a zombie. And they, they get pretty wild. Uh, some of the makeup is really just amazing to see. how it, They show you the, all the steps and the kind of the the intensity of the creative process they go through. Um, what else? We have, and we have a lot of programming for kids, crafts areas, classes. I mean, if you want to become a professional haunter or, or do anything, um, ultimately anything Halloween related is there and it's in the middle of August. So if you love that season, uh, it just extended your special holiday from one month into three months, which is pretty amazing. So you stay busy because you're doing. I stay busy. <laughs> yeah, always doing both. Uh, yeah, Scarily, the good thing about it is it's a seasonal thing, so I'm able to kind of, you know, uh, focus on, on that production when the time comes, and, you know, my lab box uh, keeps me busy for, for pretty much the entire year, um, so I, I don't really get a lot of days off, or, um, you know, I've gotten kind of used to that 10 to 15 hour work days every yeah. day, and I, I don't feel it's work, however. It's kind of the, the craziest thing is I remember when I was in my corporate job, how I couldn't wait for those eight hours to be done. Mm -hmm. And now I just almost don't want to go to bed <laughs> just because I feel there's always something that I'd much rather be doing. Oh, then you, you definitely found your calling. That's so funny. I, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I, I had uh, someone on here that Scott had got me in contact with, uh, Blair. And he directed the first VR movie, which was a horror movie. Mm. Uh, what, bitch. I, I have yet to try VR, but it looks so fucking cool, and I kind of can't wait to see that become the next big thing. It looks so okay. fun. I want to know. We had, uh, we definitely had a lot of VR experiences scarily this year. We had um, a gentleman coming in from all the way from Australia who had uh, documented uh, several hundreds of uh, dark rides all over the U.S. and worldwide. Uh, some of those are no longer open to the public, and they're just really iconic dark rides that you can go through as if you're on a little roller coaster oh, um, so cool. just by using the VR technology. The uh, future is here, you know, and I think. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Really I'm just is. excited to see what comes out. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like with VR movies, it's just like it just it's, it could just be like a choose your own adventure. There's just so many good ways to hide Easter eggs and stuff, and horror just kind of lends it lends it to yourself so much because if you have a 360 degree angle, anything could sneak sneak up on you. Like, I'm excited. I'm really excited to see what they're gonna do with it in terms of the arts. Me too. Me too. Oh. The only thing that we were promised as kids that still hasn't happened is the hoverboards. Oh, I know. That and then we got those <laughs> stupid fake looking hoverboards that were just... I know. That just We can tell the difference between LED and magnetic forces. Come on, Come guys. On, guys. <laughs> I've watched enough YouTube videos out there to show me that people have made one somewhere. <laughs> kind of. But Probably, because... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Ever since I saw Back to the Future, that's all I've ever wanted. Right? Me so too. Long? So I'm, I'm still holding out. You yeah, know, by the time I'm 70, I'm hoping that I'll still be able to ride them. <laughs> I know. That would be, oh God, that's all I've ever wanted. Just a goddamn hoverboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, um, excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Before we kind of wrap it up, is there anything we missed or anything else you want to hit on? I 
can't. To get more information about MyLabBox and testing at home, go to MyLabBox.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, coming soon to Snapchat, as well as already on Instagram. So it's all easy at MyLabBox and MyLabBox.com. That's where all the answers are, and we'll make your life easier than you ever thought it was possible. Well, thank you so much, and um, have a good rest of your evening. Awesome. Well, stay sexy, stay healthy, and um, <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. Hey. What are you listening to? Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray. What's Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray? You've never heard of Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray? I've never heard of Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray. Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray is a horror movie podcast. They talk about horror movies they love and even the ones they hate. They're actually really entertaining. You can listen to them on iTunes. Well, what if I don't have iTunes? And you can find them on Stitcher or YouTube. Or we could listen together. Yeah, that sounds great. So, your place and mine. Wait, did you hear that? Hear what? But I didn't even get a chance to listen to Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray. Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray will never die, but you will. Listen now on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube before it's too late. Part of the Core Temp Arts Podcast Network.